Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. Hopefully you're hearing me clearly. Maybe you could just go ahead and type in the chat uh, just to confirm that I am, in fact, uh, coming through clearly. I'll go ahead and open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the study uh, for this evening, which is going to be Isaiah chapter 33. Our Heavenly Father, we pause before our study uh, because we want to acknowledge you. And we want to ask you, Father, to be very much a part of our understanding. We want you, Father, we pray, we beg you, God, that supernaturally you would reach into our hearts, you would reach into our minds and just help us, Father, to fully or more fully comprehend your word. We know this is a lifelong endeavor, but every day, Father, every week, every month, every year, we pray, God, that our understanding will be more complete our conviction deeper, and our ability to speak out against the confusion uh, much more, that we'd be much more capable and competent. Uh, we thank you, Lord God Almighty. We praise you. We thank you for the prophets. We thank you in particular for this prophet Isaiah uh, that we've been studying. We thank you for preserving this word for us. And Father, we pray that uh, your word will wash us and cleanse us, especially now as we are counting towards the Passover. Uh, thank you, Father. Thank you for all the brethren that uh, join in. And we just pray, Father, that together uh, we would grow uh, in the grace and knowledge of Christ and be pleasing to you. We praise you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So, brethren, we are up to Isaiah chapter 33, and I'm just looking for a confirmation that uh, I am coming through Clearly, I haven't seen that yet. Let me just see if it's uh, over here on uh, CGI. Just sure. Oh, yes. Good audio. Thanks, Pastor Murray. Very, very good. All right. So good. We can get into uh, the service for this evening. And let me just find my mouse. And um, yes, we are up to isaiah chapter 33 and let me go ahead and share my screen and what is happening here with the chat i've got the overlay on there we go okay very very good uh isaiah chapter 33 before i get into 33 let's just go back a few chapters and let us look at, uh, beginning in Isaiah chapter 21, I just want you to pick up a theme here. In Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 1, woe to the crown of pride. This is a curse. This is a curse of destruction. Woe to the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim. Chapter 29 and uh, verse 1, woe to Ariel, Ariel, the city where David dwelt. So this is now a curse on Jerusalem. So first, the curse is on the northern tribes, Ephraim. That's not just one tribe. That, that represents all of the northern tribes. Now the curse is on the south, on Ariel, the city, Jerusalem, where David dwelt. And verse 15 of chapter 29, Woe to them that seek deep to hide their plans from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. And they say, who sees us and who knows us? A curse on Judah for their rebellion against God. Chapter 30, verse 1, Woe to the rebellious children, says Jehovah, that take counsel, but not of me, 
that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Speaking of the covenant community, and by extension, the first fruits as well. Woe to the first fruits who are rebellious children that take counsel of the world and not of God. Woe, this is a curse of destruction. Verse 31, we pray for their repentance, and we pray for the repentance of Judah and Israel as well. And as things heat up, the scriptures show us many will repent, but the scriptures also show us many will betray, and many will be destroyed by God. But God is going to shed blood everywhere in his wrath. And so we need to come to know this God, who is very, very angry with this world. And we cannot be cozying up to the world. We have to distance ourselves from this world. Let the world go their way, and we will go the way of Jehovah. Where there's no, there's no mixing of the two. Then he says in chapter 31, verse 1, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. Speaking of Judah, we can equally apply it to the church, the first fruits. How dare us go to the world for help? Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and, and trust in horses and chariots. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel, neither do they seek Jehovah. They're not waiting and trusting in Jehovah. And now we come to chapter 33. Woe upon woe upon woe. Curse upon curse upon curse. Upon Ephraim of the covenant community, the northern tribes. Upon Jerusalem. Upon Judah. Upon, uh, we can even see by extension, upon the first fruits who rebel against God. And then now we come to chapter 33, again, woe. But this time, it is not upon God's people. It is not upon the covenant community. It's a different audience. It's a different target for this woe. Woe to you that spoils, and you weren't spoiled, and you deal treacherously, and they didn't deal treacherously with you. When you shall cease to spoil, when you'll finally be made to stop in your spoil, spoil being the spoils of war, think jihad, you know, think of people who just constantly are fighting and taking what isn't theirs by force, women and treasure and children and enslaving. <clears throat> Woe to you, because this is going to come to a stop. And when it does, you shall be spoiled. And when you shall make an end to deal treacherously, or the end will be made for you because this is your nature, you won't stop, but there's going to be a force more powerful than you, speaking of Assyria, the, the Assyrian, the Antichrist, there will be a force more powerful than you that will stop you from dealing treacherously. And they shall deal treacherously with you. And you can just think of these kings in the end time when they betray each other. And this is what's going to happen. Now, this curse, which is different than all the other curses, is upon the Antichrist. And we see this, and, and these nations that surround Judah to destroy her, we see this is all, Isaiah is just repeating Moses. Isaiah, all the prophets amplify Moses. Give, a, give Moses in high definition and in great detail. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 7 and the Lord your God, after you repent, so first, God will use your enemies to drive you to a deep, deep, true repentance. That is what the great tribulation 
is all about. We, we should really, synonymous to the great tribulation is the great restoration, the great redemption. <clears throat> because in God's wisdom, this is how he takes that remnant and redeems them to be a pure people, to, to, to people who will bring a true sacrifice and offering to him, people who will truly represent him in a covenant relationship. But because of the stubbornness of these people and God's faithfulness to the covenant, he won't give up on them. And therefore, he has to take them through this process, which was outlined by Moses in Deuteronomy. And the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 30, verse 7, Deuteronomy 30, you know, Deuteronomy, the whole book, but Deuteronomy 30 is a nice chapter just to get really, really familiar with. And you know that if you've been following us here on Line Upon Line, you know that we constantly go back to Deuteronomy and, and primarily Deuteronomy 30, because after the curses in Deuteronomy 20, or the blessings and the curses in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, uh, Moses gives a really nice summary of Deuteronomy 30 to say, you know, these blessings and curses, you're going to get both. You'll get the blessings because you're the covenant people and you'll be established by God, but then you're not faithful to the covenant. And so you will activate the covenant curses. But after you have activated the covenant curses, these curses are not designed to destroy you. They're designed to turn you. And when you finally turn with your whole heart as a result of this great tribulation, so it happens in cycles, but ultimately Christ said he came to fill to the full. So ultimately, because Christ came, these patterns, these cycles, these um, uh, frameworks will finally be fulfilled. These prophecies will finally be fulfilled to the full, to the full, no dilution. And so when this comes without any dilution, the Lord your God will then put all these curses upon your enemies and on them that hate you, which persecuted you. So Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies, all these nations that surround Judah and Jerusalem in the end time, which are going to persecute her and destroy her uh, and not un unwittingly drive her to true repentance and rec recognition of the Messiah, Yeshua. When they finally drive them to the recognition of Messiah, then he will act on their behalf and he will put these curses. So, so Zechariah 12 and Zechariah 14, in particular 14, verse 1 and 2, we see the Antichrist moving into Jerusalem and spoiling Jerusalem in, in the midst of her, and she can't do anything about it. But then God will stop, she wants to, the, the Antichrist, sorry, wants to destroy Jerusalem completely, wants to destroy every Jew, completely remove the covenant people from the earth, but they won't be able to do that. God will stop it, and then all of that spoiling, it'll be turned. And the Antichrist will be spoiled. This is Moses. This is the original prophecy. The Lord your God will then put all these curses upon your enemies. Think Assyria, Moab, uh, Edom, uh, all these enemies, uh, Ammon, all of these nations that surround Judah that hate her. All these enemies, all these enemies are going to suffer. The very curses that Deuteronomy outlined would be upon Judah and Israel. They'll flip and they'll be upon the enemies of Judah and Israel, which persecuted you. So back to Isaiah 33, verse 2. So the spoiler is spoiled. Assyria is crushed by a powerful force that's beyond man's capabilities. And then Isaiah, he pleads, O Lord, Yehovah, 
Be gracious unto us. Who is us? Judah. Lord, be gracious to Judah. Be gracious to the Jews, the covenant people. We have waited for you. And by extension, we now, we can include ourselves as the first fruits of this covenant. We are grafted in. And we also will be subjected to the way the world turns. But we understand why. And we can narrate for the world what is happening and why. And preach this gospel as a witness to the world, to all nations. But also, we can comfort Judah because we understand. And so we can preach to Judah why this is happening to them. And we can preach to Judah, behold, your God. This is your God. Sit down, Judah, and let us tell you about your Messiah. And let us help you repent. And let us explain to you how this story is going to unfold. Because we understand your scriptures. You have the scriptures, but you don't understand them. So silence for a moment while we tell you and explain to you your own scriptures. While we reveal to you your Messiah so that you can turn to him in prayer. So he says, O Lord, be gracious unto the Jews, the covenant people. We have waited for you. So somebody was telling them who Messiah is, and they finally recognized this, and they waited for him. Be you their arm every morning. So now he's speaking to about the Jews. So God, be their protection. Stretch out your arm and protect them every morning. Our salvation, and the Hebrew is Yeshua, our Yeshua, also in the time of trouble. So in the great tribulation, be our Yeshua. And somebody's going to say to Judah, fear not. Someone's going to comfort Judah with the scriptures. And somebody's going to say to Judah, behold, Yeshua reigns. So our salvation, our, it's really in the plural, our salvations, there's a physical salvation, there's a, there's a, a, a spiritual salvation as well in this time of great tribulation. So he says here that we have waited for you. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 8, verse 7. He said, and I will wait upon Jehovah. He, he, he understood. I mean, his name means God will save. So he understood, Yeshayahu, that God will save. And so he will wait upon the Lord. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? It means to be patient. But it doesn't mean to just sit back and do nothing. It's this expectant looking and behaving accordingly. That we behave in a certain way because we know Yehovah is coming. He's coming to judge. He's the real, he's the earth's rightful ruler. And we truly believe in his reign on earth. And so we wait. We do not get caught up in this world's movements. And it's just, I'm so ashamed of parts of the church that have turned to the world instead of waiting on Yehovah, who have turned to the world to bring justice to the world. Is this insanity? And even their ministers have backed them and supported them and turned against those of us who have been trying to point to the scriptures to say, no, 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 don't get caught up in the world's movements. You, the world cannot bring righteous justice. It's impossible. They're insane. Insane people cannot bring righteousness to the world. And yet, we had people among us running after the insane, saying, oh, please lead us. Okay, great. Now they're leading you. How is it going to work out for you? You didn't wait upon the Lord. So 
we pray for your repentance and that you in fact will turn to the Lord and realize this world is dead. It's spiritually gone. The world is insane. We want nothing to do with it. We wash our hands of it. That's not to say that we don't have uh, gainful employment, that we don't try to lead a quiet life and look after our responsibilities. We're not, we're not like these uh, people who just, the, the Thessalonians in fact had this problem where they were, you know, they were engaged, they were truly converted, but they thought that that meant they don't have to do anything. They can just put their feet up and philosophize. No, Paul had to correct them and say, get to work. And if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. So, so we are responsible, but we're not getting entangled in insanity. I'm, I'm, I'm so ashamed that, that we vehemently fight to support the insane. And we turn against our own brothers and sisters. We side with the insane to fight against our own brothers and sisters who are informed by the Holy Spirit and by Scripture. Is this, this is just a taste of what is to come. And I pray for their repentance. And I pray for the repentance of their ministry that didn't have the backbone to, to, to stand up against this and to speak, call evil, evil, and call good, good, and wait upon the Lord. I will wait upon the Lord. That what does he do? He hides his face from the house of Jacob. People, where's God? Why, why would this happen? How could there be a God and this, this evil happens? Open the scriptures. Now let us explain to you this, this construct called covenant. And let us explain to you how the nations of, or who are the nations of Jacob and how these tribes of Jacob have violated the covenant and how a covenant has, has, has conditions and clauses. And, and these different clauses are activated based on the conditions. And you've brought this upon yourself. And one of these conditions, God has now withdrawn himself. He was intimately involved. But we said we didn't want him. And so he stepped back. And to this day, even the brethren in the church are saying, we don't want, we want to do this ourselves. We want to, we want to side with the insane. We want to side with the perverse. We want to side with those who want to destroy the family, the very representation of God. We want to side with them and help bring about their insane version of justice. God hides himself, not just from physical Jacob, but he'll hide himself from first fruits as well. And then those who think they have, even the little they have will be taken away from them. It is a fearful, fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Almighty. And they may not listen to me, but maybe they'll listen to you. Maybe you could pull them aside and say, stop following the insane. Maybe some have listened. Maybe some have repented. We pray for them. But he says he's going to wait upon the Lord. And he understands God is hiding his This is... I think there's no, maybe there's no more terrifying phrase in the Bible for Jacob than this one, that he hides his face from the house of Jacob. You do not have access to me. You didn't want me. You wanted your idols. You ran after your idols. You performed all kinds of perversity to worship your idols. Okay, you don't want me? I'm out. Have it your way. Let's see how it works out for you. And so this is a terrifying verse that he hides his face from the house of Jacob. But Isaiah says, I'm going to wait upon him. Why? Because I understand the covenant. And I understand he's a God of covenant. And this turning away from Jacob 
is a temporary condition. Because of the covenant with Abraham that Jacob inherited, he will turn back to Jacob. So I'm going to wait for him. And I will look for him. Again, that waiting is not this sort of Thessalonian passive, just philosophize. It's an active get busy, uh, get cracking, you know, take on your responsibilities and fulfill them. And fulfill the basics before you get into the esoteric. In Isaiah 40 and verse 31, he says, again, speaking of waiting upon the Lord, he says, but they that wait upon Jehovah, as opposed to those who join forces with the insane to try to bring about some form of perverse justice, which really means oppression, because we're in opposite world. We are in opposite world. Everything these people say, it's the opposite. When they say social justice, that actually means social oppression. And the fools and the imbeciles that support them are actually supporting the oppression of the poor. And God is going to crush those who oppress the poor. So everything is opposite. Everything they say, whenever the insane speak, whenever the demons speak, just think, oh, the opposite must be true. So whatever they say they're doing, it's the opposite. They say they want to do good. They want to help the poor. No, they want to impoverish the poor. They want to crush the poor. This is their track record. How, you know, <laughs> will a leopard change its spots? Will demons stop being demonic? Just because they take over the minds of humans, does that mean that somehow, oh, because I've taken over the mind of a human, now I'm going to be good? Or do they make that human believe that what they're doing is good, even though what they're doing is complete evil and insanity? But they that wait upon Jehovah shall renew their strength. You might run out of strength. You might be in a, in a state of depression and, and feeling like all hope is lost. Jeremiah was, was depressed at one point. But those that wait upon the Lord, Jeremiah, shall renew their strength. You will have your strength renewed. Why? Because you waited upon the Lord, and he is faithful. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And Joel tells us that at this time when, when, when Christ is returning, he's going to pour his spirit upon all Judah. Men, women, old, young, everyone's going to be, they will renew their strength. So you can take that image of the, the Holocaust, and then you can see the opposite. When God finally acts, these people who are so, and, and that was just a dress rehearsal for what's coming. But those that trust God, and that's why we've got to get this scripture right, so that, you know, even with the first fruits, you know, you have these people that say, oh, no, no, we won't have to face everything. Uh, we're going to be raptured, and we'll never have to face anything. Well, if you're not reading the scriptures accurately, when it doesn't quite work out the way you thought that you'd be on easy street, well, when you're on hard street, when you find yourself in the school of uh, hard knocks, uh, then you need not be discouraged if you understand the scripture, and you can wait upon the Lord. But if you didn't think that this would happen, like you just thought, hey, we're just going to have it easy all the time, then when things go sour, you, you lose patience. And so shame on those teachers, false teachers, who are giving false hope. Let's give true hope. Let's give hope that, that's derived from the scripture. We may get weary, but all of us, physical Judah, spiritual Judah, all Israel, that repents and turns to God, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And this is, this is literal. This is real. This is, this is a, a whole level of different level of being, unlike the current state that we are now. Back to Isaiah 33. 
At the noise of the tumult, the people fled. The, 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 the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the ungodly, the Gentile people, they fled. Something happened. Christ said, okay, I'm, I'm, that's it. Uh, Matthew 24, he says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh, no covenant flesh would be saved alive. It doesn't mean just general human beings all over the world because of nuclear technology, you know, God has to save humanity or all humanity would be wiped. That's not what Matthew 24 is saying. You can maybe interpret that if you just fly in and take out that one verse out of context. But if you read the whole passage beginning in Matthew 23, in context, this is a curse upon Judah. And if you're in Judah, you better run for your life because there is going to be such hatred, a perpetual hatred that will be fully realized in the end time before Christ returns, before Messiah returns, that if he didn't return, this fully realized perpetual hatred would seek out every last Jew. If you have any DNA in you that comes from uh, Judah and even more broadly from Jacob, they will hunt you down and eliminate you because this is Satan's agenda to handcuff God from fulfilling his plans. But God says he declares the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, that which is not yet done, saying, my plans will stand. I've spoken. It's going to happen. So Satan is fighting a losing battle, and those who side with him are on the side of a loser. So he says here that now when God says, you know, unless, unless he acted, no flesh would be saved alive. But for the elect's sake, that is the covenant people, and specifically Judah, for their sake... He acts, and he's going to stop this, this uh, fully realized perpetual hatred. At the noise of the tumult, the people fled. There's something as powerful as they were, and as confident as they were, and as victorious as they were, something happened. Now we're seeing signs in the heavens, and, and this is, these are things that men cannot have any control over. And it's like, okay, something's happening that's beyond our control, and they're terrified, finally. At the lifting up of yourself... The Goyim, the, the Gentile nations, were scattered. These are the nations surrounding Judah. And let's be frank, these are Muslims with a mixed-up ideology that's full of perpetual hatred. And at, when, when God finally acts, they run for their lives because God is angry at what they are doing to his, the apple of his eye, the covenant people. Verse 30, verse, chapter 33, verse 4. And your spoil, so think jihad and all the treasures that they're gathering, and your spoil shall be gathered like the gatherings of the caterpillar. As the running to and fro of locusts shall he run upon them. Just in other words, all of this wealth that you've gathered will be taken away from you. It'll be completely uh, taken away from you. You'll have no control over the spoils anymore. The Lord, Yehovah, is exalted. The Lord is exalted. Now he's not exalted. He's debased right now. It's very sad to say this. The Lord is debased right now. He's denigrated. He's insulted. He's humiliated. You can say anything you want today about Christ. You're celebrated if you denigrate the name of Christ. But all of that is coming to an abrupt end. And Yehovah will be exalted. He'll be the highest. Philippians 2, because of his humility, Jesus Christ, God says, the Father says, he's going to give him a name that is far above every name, and every knee will bow to Messiah. So the Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He's going to establish himself on the Mount Zion, 
and he's going to dwell on high, and everybody has to look up and, and climb up the mountain to, to, to see him, to worship him, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. So he's dwelling, it doesn't mean he's in heaven. He's on earth, ruling as the earth's rightful ruler. And all of this insanity has finally been quashed, and it comes to an end. This craziness. These people are in power and they want to force you to say that a man can give birth. They want to force you to say that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. And when you agree with that, you have blasphemed God on high. The very scriptures begin with the creative act and God saying male and female created he them. This is the fundamental design of the creation of the human being. And these people, when they're in power with their social justice that some of our own people support, when they're in power, they're going to force you to say there's no such thing as male and female. They're going to force you to blaspheme God. They're going to force you to worship demons and to follow the doctrines of demons. And all of this is coming to an end. And all those that follow along and all those that accept the mark of the beast, they'll be destroyed and wiped out. And the Lord will be exalted. It'll be a whole new earth. And the human beings that exist on the earth at this time, they will be healed. They'll have no more insanity. And, and they'll be able to understand that they're, they're made in the glorious image of God. And when a man and a woman come together in covenant love, and commit to each other for life, that this reflects the Godhead. This, this reflects what God's plan, this reflects what he's doing, and they have children, and they build a family that's loyal to each other, and expands. This, this all reflects God's plan, and they'll all understand it, and they'll all worship him, and he'll dwell on high. He has filled Zion. Zion. What has he filled Zion with? judgment and righteousness. And this is what we were waiting for. The fools among us ran after the perverse. The fools among us ran after the evil. And as I mentioned, even their ministers supported them and fought against us, fought against the word of God. And we say, no, 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 no. Let's wait. If you're insane, you cannot bring justice to the world. If you're evil, you cannot bring righteousness. So we will wait upon the God of Jacob. And now he's here, Isaiah 33, verse 5, and he's filled Zion with justice and with righteousness. He's the only one that can do this. And now the whole world hears there is judgment in Zion. There is righteousness in Zion. And the whole world wants to go to Zion to be educated, to be healed, to be properly informed, to be dignified as a human being made in God's image. He's here at, in verse 5, and he's filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of your times. <laughs> if, 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 I think the one word that would best, well, maybe not one word. I, thought, I was going to say the one word that would best describe our time. And I was going to say was instability or chaos. But that, you can't say one word. Maybe if I was to choose one word, it would just be evil. Evil. But I don't think we can say one word. But a, a word that would certainly describe our time, would be instability. 
chaos. That when you start to pull out of society, the Christian influence, and with it, the rule of law, and you move from rule of law where nobody's above the law. Moses, the, law, the great lawgiver Moses, was not above the law. He did not go into the promised land because he was subject to the law, even though he was the great lawgiver. So this, this uh, biblical concept and ethic of rule of law, when you remove that from society, when you remove the influence of Christ from society, what are you left with but instability? Nothing matters now. The, the human being is no longer honored. And now, you know, you're speaking of social justice, environmental justice. Now the next phase, the next rollout is this whole carbon sensitivity. And we must honor the environment. Of course we have to honor the environment. But the environment is not a god. The environment is not higher than man. Man was not made for the environment. The environment was made for man. And once you move away from the high honor that God has placed upon man, that man is made in the image and likeness of God, when you reduce man to an insect, then you can crush him because you have a reason. Oh, the, you know, he's, he's uh, breathing too much carbon dioxide into the environment. Therefore, we must crush him and eliminate him and, move, and remove him. This is where we're heading. We're now, we're, it's basically the worship of Baal. Baal worship was environmental worship. Hey, we need, we need the terrain. So we need to call upon the God of the environment, and we need to engage in perverse sexual activity so that Baal will make it rain. We're just returning back to paganism. We're going back to the ways of the old pagans. But we use sophisticated words with it, sophisticated rhetoric. But it's the same pagan child sacrifice, human sacrifice that we're getting involved in. We, we, we must abort children because... They're just going to destroy the environment. They're going to, if they're born, they're going to breathe carbon dioxide into the environment. Therefore, they must be crushed. If they're born, they're going to want to eat meat. And the whole meat industry is evil, and it, it causes too much carbon dioxide and methane. Therefore, abort the baby, because the environment becomes God. So all of this, when you remove the Christian influence from society, you get instability and chaos. And that's we're looking at the south of the border here. We're looking at this current administration, which I say very frankly is evil. But we're looking at this administration, and they were supposed to be the adults in the room. They were supposed to bring calm and stability and restore norm normalcy. Everything they say, the opposite is true. At some point, we need to wake up and say, well, you know what? Communists have taken over the country. Communists are taking over all the Western civilized nations. And these communists are removing the influence of Christ. And we need to sort of think a few steps ahead to say what happens to a society when it doesn't have the influence of Christ? What happens to a society when it buys into the rhetoric of communism? When it buys into social justice and, and the great promises of equality of communism? Let's go back through the history books and let's see the record. And let's search diligently to see if we can find any example anywhere at any time in any country where communism has brought social justice, has brought equality, has, brought, has uplifted the poor from their poverty, has, has honored the human being because we're going to a time of great instability. But here in this future, this will be replaced 
and wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of your time. And strength of salvation, Yeshua, the fear of the Lord is his treasure, that the one that's waiting upon the Lord, the fear of the Lord, that we dare not get involved in things that are evil because we fear the Lord. And this is our treasure. This is, this is, hey, no matter what goes on, no matter what they take from us, and they do want to take everything from us, especially our dignity in Christ, but our treasure is the fear of the Lord. And we conduct ourselves accordingly. Because of that and waiting upon the Lord, we live into this time when wisdom and knowledge will stabilize the whole world. And the strength of salvation will come from this wisdom and knowledge. <clears throat> Speaking of this, knowledge covering the world, a very familiar scripture in Isaiah 11 and verse 9, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my mountains. So fast forward to the future, into the millennial reign of Christ, and this is what we see that there'll be no hurt or destruction in the, in the holy mountain. Why? Because he said he's going to establish justice and righteousness in Zion. From there, it's going to spread to the whole earth. For the earth shall be full. <clears throat> the exact opposite of what we see today. Excuse me. Excuse me. The ex today... The earth is void of the knowledge of the Lord. I, 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 I'm quite certain if you stopped the average 20, 30-year-old, anybody in the 20s or 30s, the average person, and you said to them, recite for me the Ten Commandments, they'd have no idea. Tell me about the Exodus. They'd have no idea. There's an absence, there's ignorance of the Lord. And because of that, Satan is having his way. But there's going to be a time when the whole world, imagine this, you could stop anybody, any, any country, any city, anywhere in the world, and you could sit down and have a conversation about the covenant. You could sit down and talk about God's faithfulness to Israel. You could quote the Psalms, and as you, you wouldn't, have to, you wouldn't have, even have to say, you know, turn to Psalm 53. You would just start quoting the psalm and they'll finish it. <laughs> Imagine that. This is the world we're heading into. The whole world will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, the same way the waters cover the sea. Like It's going to be saturated. There will be no human being who doesn't know the Lord. This is where we're heading. Back to Isaiah 33. So this, this knowledge will, will stabilize the world and it will be the salvation of the world. And then Isaiah says, Behold, look at this. Come, come, take a look at this. Behold, their valiant ones shall cry without. The ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. Now, a couple of ways this could be interpreted. I'm interpreting this as the heroes of Judah. That, that they were not waiting upon the Lord. They had their valiant warriors that thought they could overcome Assyria, and they failed. And then there were the others that thought, no, 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 let's, let's be diplomatic. Let's negotiate peace. 
and they failed. Assyria is going to be, have this overwhelming force and power that Judah will not be able to withstand, and Assyria will be treacherous. Uh, they, they, in fact, if you look at the uh, teachings of Muhammad, that you can enter a covenant and then you can break it if there's something better that comes up. So this is, and, and especially with uh, the, um, the, the non-Muslims, you can pretend to be, to keep a covenant and it's no problem. Allah doesn't mind if you break your word, if, if there's a better option that comes up. So they don't understand what they're dealing with. And the, the overwhelming military force they cannot stand up against, especially once America withdraws and America collapses. And at the same time, they think they can negotiate peace and they cannot. They absolutely cannot. Verse eight, the highways lie waste. The wayfaring man ceases or the traveling man. So we uh, kind of had a little taste of this or foretaste of this with the pandemic where, you know, all travel was shut down and stay at home orders around the world and, and people couldn't travel. And, you know, if you go out, it's like the streets are barren, they're empty, the highways, nobody's on them. Uh, the airports are empty. Uh, this is just a, a, a little foretaste of what's coming based on the destruction of the Assyrian. That they, they're just, nobody will go out. Uh, all travel will stop. Uh, he has broken the covenant. He has despised the cities. He regards no man. So again, you're trying to negotiate peace. You want to enter into some sort of uh, formal agreement of peace with them. Uh, he'll say yes, and he'll sign, and then he's going to betray. So, so he says here in verse 7 that the ambassadors of peace, when, when they realize that the, they're going to get the exact opposite, they're going to come back feeling really good. Hey, it's okay now. We're into some sort of agreement here. Uh, we couldn't overcome them militarily. Let's give up. Let's negotiate agreement. We'll pay them their, their, uh, their taxes, uh, and then they're just going to turn. So he, he breaks the covenant, and he despises the cities, and he has no regard for any man. The earth mourns and languishes. This is now the state of affairs. The land is just in a horrible state. Lebanon is ashamed and torn down. Sharon is like a wilderness. Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruit. So, you know, if we lived in the Middle East at this time, these, these would, terms would mean something to us. Here in Canada, if we said something like Banff has become a desert, Lake Louise has dried up, you know, the Rocky Mountains have crumbled. These are landmarks that, you know, people come from all, all over the world to come and visit and take pictures. And it's so beautiful. I just saw some pictures recently. I, you know, you get the idea here that these are luscious areas, beautiful parts of the promised land. And now they're just the, the, the Assyrian, the forces have come in and just because of the military uh, conquest, they're just torn everything up and it's all barren. And at this time, remember, he says in Matthew 24, that unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved alive. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And so here's the shortening. Just as this Antichrist is just completely having its way, verse 10, now will I rise, God says. This is Moses. That when, when you turn to me with all your heart and all your soul, when, when, when you're scattered in, in these places where you're being totally humiliated, you recall the teachings of Moses, of Torah. And you turn to God with all your heart and all your soul, that then he will turn to you and he will end your captivity. God says, now 
will I rise, says Jehovah. Now will I be, I, he, could, he could have done it before, but he was hiding his face from Jacob until he, he gets that remnant that will be true. Now will I rise, says Jehovah. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. In other words, he's been humiliated all this time. His name has been blasphemed all this time. Another God has been exalted. Idols have been exalted. And they are getting their way with these human beings who have followed after them. Satan is trying to be God, and Satan has been exalted all this time. And God says, okay, time to flip the script. Now I'm going to act. Now I'm ready, because now I have a remnant. Now will I rise, says Jehovah. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. And this now, let's go back to Deuteronomy. Again, it's all Torah. So God says, now will I be exalted. Let's go back to Torah. What did Moses teach? Deuteronomy 32, verse 36. For Jehovah shall judge his people and repent himself for his servants. So he, he hides his face from Jacob, and then he sees their pain and suffering. And then he turns to them when they turn to him fully. So he says, <clears throat> and he will repent himself for his servants. When he sees that their power is gone and there is none shut up or left. So the valiant ones weep bitterly. The, the ambassadors of peace weep bitterly. There's no hope for them now. And that's when he's going to turn because he sees their power is gone and there is none shut up or left. And he shall say, where are their gods? Their rock in whom they trusted. They ran after these people who are insane. They ran after the pagans. They adopted the ways of the Baal worshipers. Well, now that they're in trouble, where are their gods? Where's their rock? I was supposed to be their rock, but they rejected me. And they chose Baal. Where is Baal now? Where is their rock in whom they trusted? <clears throat> Which did eat the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. So they went into this whole worship ceremony for Baal. Well, where's Baal now? Where's Molech now? Let them rise up. Where's Ashtoreth now? Let them rise up and help you and be your protection. You, you wanted social justice and you partnered with the insane. Well, where's the insane now? You wanted the state to be your daddy. Where's your daddy now? Oh, the state is oppressing you. Oh, the state is humiliating you. Oh, the state is taking your children away from you. Oh, the state is raping your children in front of your face with perverts, because that's communism. Oh, I thought you wanted the state to be your daddy. I thought you liked the idea of the state being more and more powerful. Why aren't they helping you? Let them rise up and help you, God says, and be your protection. See now that I, even I, I'm he, and there is no God with me. I kill, and I make alive. And when God says he kills, he's speaking of his own people. He will put his own people to death. He will put the covenant people to death. This is Deuteronomy. This is on the heels of Deuteronomy 28 and 29. That God will kill. Yes, he will kill the Assyrian ultimately and the enemies of Judah ultimately. But 
because of covenant, he will actually destroy his own people. I kill and I make alive. He can resurrect, he can preserve. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. So he said in, in, earlier in Isaiah that when he turns this curse on Judah, none will deliver Judah out of his hand. When, when he puts his hand on Judah's neck through her adversaries, none can deliver her. But at the same time, when he turns against Judah's enemies, none can deliver the enemies. And that's why he says his counsel shall stand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. This is God speaking. If I wet my glittering sword, so to wet is to sharpen. You, you take a wet stone and you sharpen the sword with water and a stone. And then it's glittering and it's ready for battle. You give that to the warriors. And now they've got the best optimized instrument for warfare. God says, look, if or when I wet my glittering sword, my hand take hold on judgment, and my hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and will reward them that hate me. This is why we wait for him. This is why we wait for him. He's the only one that can really mete out true justice, not insane humans under the influence of demons. I will render vengeance to my enemies and will reward them that hate me. And God considers those who turn away from him, who turn to Baal and worship Baal, he considers them as hating him. And he says, and, and he, he says lately through Micah, lately my own people have risen up against me as an enemy, as my enemy. My own people are my enemy. And he says, I will render vengeance to my enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood. This is God. We don't apologize for God. We understand his character. And when we see the evil that is in the world today, just look at what they do to babies. And that tells you everything. You just have to look at what these communists do to babies what these Islamists do to babies, that tells you everything. And God says when he acts, when he wets his glittering sword, when he, he's a man of war, he's a God of war, he's the Lord of hosts, when he acts, he says, listen, I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh, and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. So he's really going to act here. And then he says this. Again, we have to understand the pattern that Moses is laying down. Rejoice, O you nations, you goyim. Rejoice, you goyim, with his people. So you enemies of the people, there's going to come a time now where you will acknowledge these are the covenant people. And you who are not the covenant people, you shall rejoice with the covenant people. Rejoice, O you goyim, with the, with the people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants. So all these servants that have suffered, that have died, think Revelation 6. He will avenge the blood of his servants. 
and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. So God has his, his eye on a particular piece of real estate, and it's not in North America, and it's not in South Africa, and it's not in Europe, and it's not in the UK, and it's not in Russia. There's a particular piece of real estate that he has his eye on, and it's his land. And in covenant, he gave it to his people, and he's going to have mercy on this land eventually and upon his covenant people. Back to Isaiah 33. So all of this is how God is acting. So this is all Deuteronomy then. Let's just go back to Isaiah 33 when he says, Now will I rise. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. We have to go back to Deuteronomy to understand when is the now? When is the now? What, what has to happen first? And we see that clearly in Deuteronomy. Back to so he finally acts, and when he acts, he acts powerfully. Back to Isaiah 33, verse 11. You shall conceive chaff. You shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you. So this is speaking now to the Assyrian. And the people, the Gentiles, shall be as the burnings of lime. As thorns cut up, shall they be burned in the fire. Don't mess with God. Don't mess with his covenant people. Because God will, God will mess with you. And that's what's happening here. Again, all of this is outlined in Deuteronomy. Verse 13. Hear, you that are far off, what I have done. So again, the, his people have been scattered all over. They're, they're enslaved and in captives all over the world. Hear, you that are far off, what I have done. And you that are near, acknowledge my might. So in Matthew 24, he says, if you're in Judah... And if you're in, you better run for your life. But now God has acted because of the elect. And so that you that are near, acknowledge what I've done. Acknowledge how I have saved physical salvation to these people of Judah and Israel. And you that have been afar off, that were enslaved in all these different nations, and you didn't understand the language that these people spoke, but you were being denigrated and humiliated and tortured, listen to what I've done. And then verse 14. The sinners in Zion, in Sion, are afraid. They're in Zion. They therefore are the covenant people, but they were not taking God seriously. They were playing the hypocrite. And now God says they're afraid. Now, now that he's actually, it's so ironic. At the time God acts, when they should be looking to him and saying, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Because they were players, because they were hypocrites, because they were consumed in sin, now they're terrified. When God arises to shake terribly the earth, they're terrified. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. And it's not just Judah. It's Israel. And it's not just physical Judah and physical Israel. It's the first fruits as well. Let's include ourselves in this. If we are hypocrites, if we are social justice warriors, but we, we actually don't call out evil from these insane people who are destroying the family and denigrating Christ, but we will fight for social justice. 
but we won't fight against evil. Well, that's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. If we, you know, social justice, and we'll fight against our own brothers in Christ. That's hypocrisy. And so when God finally acts, and, and we, we, we think that God is this hippie in sandals that just wants to hug everybody, that's not the God of the Bible. So when the God of the Bible reveals himself because he's been hiding himself, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness, they, they're caught off guard. They were under some other kind of delusion, some, some illusion, delusion, just confusion and deception. And now the truth emerges and God acts and fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us then, let's ask the question, who among us? Isaiah is asking, not the world. Forget the Assyrians. Forget the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. Forget the adversaries of God. Let's talk about us. Can we have a conversation about us? Who among us? So by extension, let's talk first fruits exclusively for a moment. Although this is speaking of Judah as a whole. But let's talk first fruits, Judah. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? God is a devouring fire. Our God is a consuming fire. He's going to dwell on earth. Let's ask the question. When the consuming fire, when the destroying fire dwells on earth and is just burning up everything, which one of us shall dwell with him? Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Our God is a consuming fire. In Deuteronomy 4 and 24, he says this, For the Lord your God is a destroying fire, even a jealous God. This is repeated in Hebrews 12, 29. For our God is a destroying fire. Do you hear that preached? Are you acquainted with this God? Or are we being taught a false God? This is the God we want to dwell with. We, we want to live with this God forever. And he's a destroying fire. He pure, this fire purifies. So we must ask the question, as I ask the question, okay, if he's a consuming fire, who can dwell with him? He answers, he that walks righteously and speaks uprightly. Sounds like the psalmist. This is what we have to do. Walk in a right way and speak in a right way. Not in perverse rhetoric. You, you, you. Uh, I don't know. It's very, very sad. It's very sad when you hear Christians speak with a vocabulary that doesn't come from the Bible. You, they speak with a vocabulary, and it's like, wait a minute. I heard that term from some people who are insane. The white privilege, for example, white privilege. Wait a minute. An insane person, an insane and perverse person, wrote a book called White Privilege. And you don't have to get, you just, you don't have to go very far to realize this person's insane. And that language creeps into the church. That doesn't come from the Bible. We must speak uprightly. He that despises the gain of oppressions. And I just want to uh, read to you here. Let me see if I can actually share my screen. 
I just want to read to you here, speaking of the gain of oppressions. Let me see if I can just share this with you. Look at this. <clears throat> speaking of the gain of oppressions, China forcefully harvests organs from detainees. Tribunal concludes. China's organ transplant trade is worth $1 billion a year. They're selling organs to the tune of a billion dollars a year, according to a tribunal. This contains, this story contains details uh, that some may find distressing. Indeed, this is the gains of oppression. Here you see Chinese doctors performing a kidney transplant operation where they just go and take a kidney from some healthy person uh, who's not one of them and, and they sell it. The organs of members of marginalized groups detained in Chinese prison camps are being forcefully harvested, sometimes while patients are still alive. An international tribunal sitting in London has concluded. Let me tell you, these, this is communism. This is where social justice gets you. And where are your gods now? Where is your daddy now? Now that the communists have fully taken over, and they want to take you or take your child because your child has a nice healthy organ and there's some communist with failing organs and they're going to cut your child open while they live in front of your face to give it to their communist party. That's where we're heading. And shame on you. I know many of you, I'm not talking to you, but shame on you if you happen to be listening and you're part of this social justice evil. Because this is where it's heading. Some of the more than 1.5 million detainees in Chinese prison camps are being killed for their organs to serve a booming transplant trade that is worth some billion dollars a year, concluded the China Tribunal. And I won't even uh, read any more because some will find this distressing. So let me uh, share the scripture again. That's where we're heading. And God says that we have to walk righteously, we have to speak uprightly, and we need to despise, we despise the gain of oppressions. And so what we see here, we, we cannot support communism because communism is about oppression. Beautiful rhetoric notwithstanding. And for me personally, this is one of the main reasons I cannot support many of these vaccines that have taken an aborted fetus and have used the cell lining of these, this aborted fetus and just replicated over and over, this is oppression. Who was that child? Who, who, was that a, a potential prophet of God, a servant of God that could have had a tremendous influence of, uh, on the world, made in God's... Who was that? That now they're taking that person's cells to create vaccine. This is gain. The vaccine is a gain, but it's the gain of oppression. And so to me, personally, I don't want anything to do with it. Now, there are other vaccines that are not necessarily drawn or made from the gain of oppressions, but we need to despise it. And if we have fallen into certain things and we do our research, we need to repent. That shakes his hands from holding of bribes. You don't want, you can't bribe us, especially elders in the church can't be bribed. We can't be bullied. I'm just going to speak the truth, speak the scriptures. That stops his ears from hearing of blood. I don't want to hear this. 
There's there so many people today, they just back down so quickly because they're threatened. And people go along with this and support it and shut his eyes from seeing evil. And that's becoming increasingly difficult. And any kind of entertainment today, even uh, children's books, full of evil. To me, you, you can't watch TV unless you have your hand on the fast forward to skip over these evil things. Just telling a normal story, suddenly there's evil in your face. Go and get a book out of the library to show your child evil in their face. We have to shut this stuff out. That person, that's the person. It's effort. We have to swim upstream, swim against the current. That person shall dwell on high with God. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His waters shall be sure. And so there will be this repentance of Judah, and God is going to make sure that there is a remnant for him to return to and, and to live with forever. Your eyes shall see the king in his beauty. All of this evil is going to pass away. And what is eternal is the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. Remember, they've been scattered. That's part of the covenant, that they had to be scattered. And then they're going to be gathered. So, so from afar off, they're going to come and, and be in the land that their forefathers were promised. Your heart shall meditate terror. In other words, it's all behind you now. It's like, wow, I can't believe that's all behind us now. You'll think about it. It's like, that was terrifying. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a memory now. Where is the scribe? Where is the receiver? Where is he that counts the towers? So in other words, these are the, the officials of the Assyrian army and the Assyrian government. Where are they now? Thought they would never end. Verse 19, you shall not see a fierce people, a people of a deeper speech than you can perceive. In other words, you won't see this anymore. Because of the covenant, you have to see it. But because of the covenant, there is salvation in Messiah. And when Messiah acts, you won't see this anymore. This will be a, a memory. You shall not see a fierce people. Fierce, nasty, horrible. A people of deeper speech than you can perceive. That's the covenant curse. Of a stammering tongue that you cannot understand. Here is so sort of what's old is new again. Uh, this is the pattern. And this was the original pattern, the original exodus, which there's going to be a second exodus, which is going to be so massive that we'll never talk about the first exodus again. It will be, instead of the Lord who brought Israel up out of Egypt, it'll be the Lord who brought Israel from all these lands. But here in Exodus 14 and verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear you not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. So you'll just think about it. It was just a distant memory. You're not going to see them anymore. You're not going to see the Assyrian anymore. Just wrap up here in Isaiah 33, verse 20. Look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities. And this word solemnities is the Moab, the city of our feasts the city of our festivals, the city of our Sabbaths. Look upon Zion, and the whole world will look upon Zion and come and, and worship on these feast days, these Mo'adim. 
Look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities. Your eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation. This is, this is the word of God. I know it sounds impossible, and it's going to look even more impossible. But we walk by faith, not by sight. And so what we're going to see in the immediate future is the complete destruction of Jerusalem. We're going to see such nastiness and vile, vile behavior in Jerusalem and such destruction of the Jews. But God is saying to the faithful, to the remnant that repents, you will see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation. Whether you live into the millennium or you die and then you're resurrected and you live into eternity, you will see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Now, clearly, some of these prophecies have, have there's dual fulfillment. There's this immediate fulfillment uh, that Isaiah is speaking to with the Assyrian and Sennacherib and, and the, the, these Assyrian forces. They, they tried to destroy Jerusalem, but Jerusalem was saved from Assyria. Ultimately, she would be crushed by Babylon. But when we read verses like verse 20, this had no uh, application or fulfillment in the immediate future of Isaiah. This is, this is yet ahead of us. So Zion, uh, Zion is being prophesied with this big, big futuristic vision. Look upon Zion, the city of our feasts. Your eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation. Comfort you, my people. Tell her that her warfare has ended. A tabernacle that shall not be taken down. And so this is now a permanent tabernacle. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed. Neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. They're setting up this tent, the cords that hold the tent and the pillars. And this is forever. But there, the glorious Jehovah, the Lord, will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams. Water matters, like of a, especially in an agricultural society. Uh, civilization is built around water and around the rivers. It's going to be a place of broad rivers, abundance and streams and the irrigation that will come from all of that. But there in Jerusalem, the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. In other words, forget any kind of military conquest of Jerusalem. It's not happening. And there can be these broad rivers that, you know, that would be a great invade point, a uh, path to invade Jerusalem. Not happening. Because the Lord is there. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. We don't run to insane men with their perversion to be our lawgivers that want to destroy the family. We don't do that. The Lord is our judge. He, we turn to him for justice. We want his justice. And he's our lawgiver. We turn to Torah. And when, when we're in a time of lawlessness, when lawlessness will abound, even among God's people, we turn to Torah. Because he's our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. And so we can say this as first fruits, but Judah will understand this as well. And as the first fruits, we will communicate this to Judah so that they can come to repentance. Thy tacklings are loosed. Now this is speaking of the Assyrian. Thy tacklings are loosed. They could not well strengthen their mast. They could not spread the sail. Then is the prey of a great spoil divided. 
even the lame take the prey. So again, the spoiler has been spoiled. And the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. So when God finally acts, the people of Judah, will, they're, they're going to be healthy. They're going to be strong. They're going to leap like a deer. They're just going to be so robust. And uh, they will share the spoil of the spoiler. I'll just end here. So that's the end of Isaiah chapter 33. God willing, we'll go to uh, chapter 34 next week. But we're, this, this is the gospel. This is the good news according to Isaiah. This is, and, and he's going well into the future. He's seeing the whole picture. And he's saying, I've got good news. And here it is. Let's uh, see how the prophet Zephaniah concurs, because all of them are rooted in Moses. They're rooted in Torah. So we'll just finish here with this wonderful, encouraging passage in Zephaniah, beginning in verse 15. The Lord has taken away your judgments. Isaiah says, comfort you. Comfort you, my people. Tell her that her warfare has ended. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy, the king of Israel. He's, he's the king of Israel. Even the Lord is in the midst of you. Even the God of Israel, the creator, dwells with you. You shall not see evil anymore. Isaiah says you'll, your mind will only meditate, terror. You'll, you'll reflect on it like, wow, remember those days? But you won't face it anymore. You shall not see evil anymore. In that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear you not. And to Zion, let not your hands be slack. This is fascinating. This is the future. Despite the immediate future, this is the real future. The Lord your God is in the midst of thee. The, the Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty. The Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty. He will save he will rejoice over you with joy. So according to the covenant curse, he's going to hunt his people down and kill them and wound them. But then when they repent, he's going to gather them and rejoice over them with joy. He will rest in his love, his covenant love. He will joy over you with singing. Now, there is a thought. You know, I love to hear talented musicians as they play their instruments of music and those people with the gift of singing. And you hear men and women with these beautiful vocal tones and, and they, they praise God. And, you know, I, I love Messiah, Handel's Messiah. And you hear some of these uh, musicians, some of these vocalists and the notes that they're able to hit, it's, it's inspiring. But here's a thought. What about hearing God sing? Can you imagine the voice of Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Messiah, when he gathers his people and he's so full of joy of this exodus that he has pulled off and the salvation that he has brought to his people that he sings and he's full of joy? Can you imagine this? This is good news, brethren. This is wonderful, wonderful, good news. And with that wonderful thought, we will conclude today. Uh, thank you so much for joining. We're almost finished this uh, wonderful book of Isaiah. A few more weeks, I think, and we'll come to a conclusion of Isaiah. We'll return to the Psalms for a bit. And then I would like to cover um, Amos and Hosea 
because like Isaiah and Micah, they're all contemporaries. Isaiah and Micah focus primarily on Judah and Jerusalem. Amos and uh, Hosea focused on the northern tribes. So I think it's important for us to understand as much as we're understanding Jerusalem is the focal point of these prophecies, there are prophecies that pertain to the northern tribes as well. So that, brethren, is our study for this evening. Again, appreciate so much uh, your participation, your joining with us. And we haven't had a Q&A in a while. I'll speak with Pastor Murray and see if we can uh, set something up in the next few weeks where we can do uh, a live Q&A with that, brethren. I will say a good night. And also, wow, what a wonderful thought to end on. Listening to Jesus Christ, full of joy, singing over his people. That's good news. Jesus is Lord. God bless you, brethren.